Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. You know, this message, I I don't want to do a lot of detailed teaching. I want to walk through the idea of the heart of Jesus towards you. You know, to, to me, that's the most powerful aspect of identifying with his suffering, with uh, understanding God's mind and God's heart toward me, understanding my role as a believer, understanding my role in the church, you know, understanding who I am in his family as a child, but also to serve people. <clears throat> what all puts that into scope and focus for me is his heart for us. And it's interesting because the, I love the Bible, and, and I really hope that you read it. <laughs> I just really, I really highly recommend reading the Bible. It'll do a lot of good things for you. It's like actually putting seeds of life on the inside of you. It brings transformation. It brings wisdom. It brings healing and strength and hope. And, when, and if you read it as if you're actually communing with the spirit of the living God, there's an active living agent. It's like, a, it's like an energy. It's life. And it's, it's like a seed that is designed to produce things in your life. You know, there's a parable in Mark 4, Matthew 13 that Jesus teaches, and he teaches on the parable of the seed, and he's talking about the word, really the kingdom in your heart, and your receptivity to the word of God determines what you experience. You know, it's like your heart is the governor. It's like the regulator of what you're going to allow yourself to experience of all that he's put on the inside of you. That's why it's important to live a repentant lifestyle where you're you're quick to recognize your shortcomings, not dwell in them, but put on the new man of who you are in him, amen, and live in the power of that, knowing that you actually have become the righteousness of God in Christ. So when I think about the heart of Jesus and I think about this season and Passover season, celebrating the resurrection, thinking about the last week of, of Christ's life, you think about his knowledge, his foreknowledge, and in, in knowing what he was about to go through. You know, there's prophecies that he would have read his entire life about the suffering Messiah. He would have read, because he didn't have the New Testament, you know, he, he would have read in the Psalms and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Zephaniah, he would have read about all these prophecies about what was going to happen to the Messiah in that last week of his life, to be unjustly arrested, to be accused, to be tried, judged, punished, and not just unjustly punished by a corrupt human system, but punished for the sin of all mankind for a righteous spiritual justice system. Amen? There is an aspect of God's divine justice that needed to be satisfied. It wasn't just about that. It was about the exchanging of life, but sin had to be punished, and we can't do it on our own. And so I think about that, right? So you can use your imagination as we, as we journey through this. He knew what was coming. He was telling his, pro, his apostles that he was going to be crucified. He told them that he was going to die. He told them that he was going to be in the center or the heart of the earth for three days, which is an allusion to the idea of him being in Sheol and Hades on our behalf, 
You know, people have different opinions about that, but when you read the prophecies in the Psalms associated with, I see the internet's back up. Yeah. All right, amen. <laughs> um, it, you, you get an insight into the mindset of what he was going through. So, so that's what I want you to get out of today is the understanding of what he was going through on that cross. So I'll, as we re, we're going to read through Psalm 22 in just a minute because it's actually, an, you know, he said something on the cross that triggered us to go into the scripture to gain more of an insight. So as we walk through this and we get understanding of what he was going through, you know, because it, it, it's difficult for us to identify with the fact that he was a human being. You know, he, 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 was, he was God with this glory before he came here. In John 17, he prays, I'm ready to take back the glory which I had with you before I came here. So there was some type of something that he laid down. He emptied himself. I'm not going to say he emptied himself of his godhood. He calls it glory. But in some way, he, he, he came here and lived as a human, limited in all ways like we are, yet without sin. And it's why we can go to him because we have a faithful high priest who comes towards you, who extends a hand towards you with empathy, not judgment. He's already taken your judgment. Now, that doesn't mean you should continue in sin. You want to live well within the salvation that he's given you. But we want to know that we can go to him. Because, listen, you, you, I don't, wherever you are in your faith journey, if you've been a believer for a really long time, and you're, you're alive, and it's bright to you, and it's exciting, and you're really experiencing the grace of God in your life, or maybe it's kind of stale, and you're just here for Easter. Maybe you're new. Maybe you're rediscovering. Maybe you're kind of still trying to figure some things out. Wherever you are, understanding the heart of God for you is the power that will help you stay connected. If you make it more relational, if you make it more personal, if you go to Scripture and you realize, this is a God who loves me. This is a Jesus who knows what it's like to be me, who knows what it's like to go through what I'm going through. Amen? So I want to read through this. I want to start in Matthew 27, and this is verse 45. This is when Jesus is on the cross. Now, get this picture for just a moment. We've all seen pictures. We've all seen illustrations, animations, whatever it is. In your mind, get a picture of Jesus on that cross and the two thieves on each side, which, by the way, I, I can locate your theology based on what you think is going on with that, that one thief that says yes in that moment. He wasn't baptized. You know, so Jesus was crucified between two thieves. He has a conversation with one of them, and he tells one of them, yeah, because you believe, you're saved. Because you believed, you will be with me in eternity. He didn't, get, he didn't get baptized. He didn't get filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of praying in tongues. And I say that slightly sarcastically. You know, I believe we should experience the filling of the Spirit, utilize all the gifts. But he didn't. He didn't go to church. He didn't confess his sin. Well, he did. He confessed, you know, I, I'm not worthy. But... He's there. Don't you want to meet that guy? Because you can. When you get there, we can meet that guy. Who do you want to meet? We have the hope of heaven. Amen. I just, I don't know, I just all of a sudden feel like we need to be reminded of that. It's a real place. Our loved ones that have gone before us. 
But back to what we're going to walk through here today. Just, just get a picture of that. You know, what, what would the sounds be like? What would it look like? Well, here we see right off the bat, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right before that, it actually says, now the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. You seen the passion of the Christ? Yes. <laughs> They're make, he's making a part two. Did you know that? The resurrection. It's going to be pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, but just get this picture. He's on the cross. There's, it's dark. He's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you hear him? Now, what's he thinking? What is he going through? Some people will say that he's just saying this to quote scripture. He's just saying this to indicate what he's going through. I think it's evidenced that we have an emotional, descriptive prophecy about what our Messiah is actually experiencing on the cross. You can pull that down for just a minute. Just to set the precedent, if you want to go back and do your own research, you can go back and look at Acts 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It describes the early church. But in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, Peter stands up and prophesies, and he, and he talks about that this is the days of Joel when the, the Spirit will be poured out. But then he, then he cites a few psalms, and he says, these prophecies are about not David, but Jesus, pointing to Jesus as the Messiah and as God. Then, then you go to Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you walk through, and you see, this was said here, this was said here. To which of the angels did he say this? He didn't say it to angels. He said it. Now, he's the son. Who's the son? And so what the author of Hebrews is doing is pulling from the Psalms to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, therefore God. In that culture, it would have been one. You know, that would have represented the unity. So what we're going to walk through here, there's a lot of biblical precedent to look into the Psalms of David to get insight into the mind of the actual Messiah on the cross. These aren't just metaphors that we're relating to Jesus. There's biblical precedents showing that David actually prophesied the words of the Messiah that he would say eventually on the cross and, even more powerfully, in the grave. So I want, to get, I want you to get a picture of this as we walk through this. What we're going to read here, it starts off, that's what, you know, the reference there that Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how Psalm 22 starts off, which cues us into the rest of this psalm is about his experience. The rest of this psalm is about what he's going through. So rather than being in teaching mode, I just want you to be in connection mode, right? I want you to open up your heart to identify with what he went through for you. I want you to recognize him remaining obedient to the death of the cross for you. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So as we read through this, think about that. I am the joy that kept him on course and kept him on that cross. So here's the picture that I see. 
Y'all good with pictures? And I've done this in here before. I alluded to it last week. But, but to set this up before we read through this, I just, I just want you to think about his experience, right? We know that he was beaten, whipped, bruised, probably bleeding on his way to the cross. So just get this picture in your mind of him dragging the cross up to the spot. And I, I imagine that people that were imminently facing crucifixion in that moment maybe would have been fighting it, right? Maybe been wrestling a little bit. Just imagine he's got this cross. It falls over. What does lumber sound like when it falls over? And I just see him looking at that cross and willingly crouching himself down, laying on it and rolling over and stretching his arms out willingly on that cross. And then I just see him Look to that soldier. And I, you know, it, I, this movie plays out in my mind. I see that soldier maybe expecting a fight, maybe expecting to have to stretch his arms out and tie his hands down before he nails him. But I see Jesus willingly stretch his hand out to the shock probably of the soldier that was looking at him. He looks at Jesus, and Jesus is looking at him. And he just communicates, I'm doing this for you. I'm willingly laying my life down for you. This is for you. This is for the whole world. And can you imagine? He puts that nail in. They hoist him up. And what we're about to read through is what he was experiencing when he was lifted up on that cross. He was lifted up for judgment, for the sin of the world. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook him. He had become sin. He'd become our sin to die our death, to go into the grave as us. He didn't just die for you. He died as you in your place. Amen? So that you could be righteous in him forever. So we're going to walk through this and keep that picture of him willingly being on that cross for the joy set before him which is you. Say, I am that joy. I am that joy. Why? No, he's speaking. He's praying. This is what's going on, on his, in his mind, in his heart, as he's hanging there, paying, completing the work of atonement. Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy. Now, I want you to also recognize his process of faith because Jesus goes through this journey while he's on the cross. What he's doing is reminding himself of who he is, of who God is, the promises that God made to him, and he remained faithful to the promises that God made to him. It wasn't even necessarily his faith. It was his trust in what God said. That's our model of faith. Our faith doesn't move God. Our faith doesn't make God do things. Your faith isn't what causes anything to happen. Your faith is in Him. Your faith is, when, is in who He said He would be and the promises that He made. That's the model that we see of Jesus. He's up there helpless, but He's trusting in what His Father had promised Him. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you some homework. Can I give you some homework? Go home and read through Psalm 18. 
Personally, I think Psalm 18 is a firsthand account from the Messiah's perspective of the resurrection from the grave. Go home and read through Psalm 18. And, and read it slowly, read it as a meditative process, identifying with, recognizing this is what he's experiencing in that grave. And if you have trouble with that, go look in Acts 2, Hebrews 1, and recognize they're associating all these psalms to him. So let's keep going. So he's up there. Why, are you, why have you rebuked me? Why are you silent? And then he says, but you're holy. See, this is mind This is bringing his thoughts captive. He's reassuring his heart of who God is while he's on there. But you're holy. So in other words, you, your plan is holy. I'm sticking to your plan. Um, enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. Now, when you need faith, learn something from the faith process of Christ. Go back and read through these Psalms. Pay attention to what he did to bring his heart and his mind in alignment and in focus, and you can do these same things. Maybe not the same passage, but the model. Verse 5, they cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. So he's reminding himself of God's previous deliverance of Israel. But I'm a worm. And no, you ever feel like a worm? He lit, I mean, you got you to gotta identify with this. He's, he's not just saying these things. He felt this way. He had been exchanged. He exchanged righteousness for sin, life for death, light for darkness. He's literally going through these things. And no man, uh, I'm, I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. Can you see him up on the cross looking at the people, thinking this? All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip and they shake their head, saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So he's, rec he's recognizing his current state. He's affected by what's being said of him in that moment. Then he keeps going. Those kids are having fun back there. I was, I was trying. You know how the parent mode kicks in? You're like, is that pain or is that fun? I think they're having fun. Verse 8, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 9, but you are holy. He who took me out of the womb, you made me to trust while on my mother's breasts. I will cast upon you. From birth, I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Now, this is an allusion to demonic forces. You know, it says that had they known who he was, talking about these dark forces, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Many bulls have surrounded me. So now we get a, a glimpse into the spiritual aspect of what was going on. You know, they're, they're ridiculing him too. The people are ridiculing him and the demonic forces are ridiculing him. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have circled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. And we know, we know that that's true. None of his bones were broken. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. 
You have brought me to the dust of death for the joy set before him. Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. Now you got to know, he knows he's about to die. He's about to die and pass into the grave, having been made sin, having been changed from the righteousness to sin to go into that grave to die your death. Why? So that humanity could be free from, the, from death, be free from that dark place. It's, like, it's as if the pure light came and dove as deep into the darkness as it could go, became that darkness, and then destroyed that darkness from the inside out. That's Christ. Christ is that seed of life that was planted into the earth. And we all know a seed dies and then life comes out of it. That's the picture that we have in this resurrection. My strength is dried up. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. You ever been in such pain? You're like, ooh, I feel every muscle. I feel every joint. Well, he felt it to his bones, every bone he's feeling. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. That actually happened. But you, O Lord, see what he's doing? But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Then he's emboldened, right? Now, you can picture this having passed and then the resurrection. I think that this aspect could be also be applied to the resurrection aspect, the prophecy of the resurrection. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Leave it on 22 if you would. I, I remember early on in in being a believer, finally making my way to church, not having been raised in church, not knowing anything about, you know, church culture or any of that kind of stuff. But I remember just in a worship session at one time, I remember seeing Jesus, you know, kind of a spiritual vision. I didn't see him walking in the room literally, but it was as, he, as if he was walking around worshiping God. He was, he was receiving our praises, but he was worshiping and honoring the Father along with us in the midst of the congregation. And I remember telling our pastor at the time, and he took me to this, and he, he showed, yeah, that, that that's actually a prophecy of Jesus worshiping in the midst of the assembly. So he's receiving glory, but he's also honoring the Lord God. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All, so now he's turning it outward. So he's, he's experiencing where he's at. He's recognizing his insufficiency. He reminds himself of who God is. He starts to get a little bit more bold and starts to declare personally what he will experience. Then it turns into ministry. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you descendants of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him or worship him, all you offspring of Israel. Now, Israel is the, the descendants of Abraham, of which we are by faith now in the, our, in the family of God. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. Now, again, I'm not trying to teach you here. 
I'm trying to help you personally connect with and identify with what he was going through for you and also so that you'll have a model of faith of what to do when you're in the darkness. He's on the cross having been made sin facing Hades and Sheol. You haven't faced that. You're not going to face that. But because of the power of what he uh, gained by facing this and conquering it, you can live in the power of that. Amen? Verse 25, my praise shall be in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart, will live, let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. Wow. Think about that. So now he's recognizing what's going to happen through his efforts. He's recognizing what's going to happen through his atonement. He's reminding himself. See, if you just have a picture that that's just God hanging up there on that cross and he's not experiencing the pain and anguish of having become sin and dying your death, this doesn't connect with you. You, you don't really identify with Jesus as a human having died in your place. But if you can go there, man, I'm telling you, you will find strength in this. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow down before Him, even, even He who cannot keep Himself alive. A posterity or descendants and offspring shall serve Him, it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare His righteousness to a people who will be born that He has done this. Amen? And leave it on that. This is where He ends. He's suffering. He's facing the grave. And this is what He's thinking about. He's thinking about us. You know, that's the picture that we also see in John chapter 17 right before he allows himself to be arrested, he's praying for us. He's praying that we would know our unity with the Father. He's praying that we would know our unity with each other. If we're in keeping in mind his great commandment to love one another and that the world will know us by our love for each other, this is our mandate. This is our calling, is to live in the salvation that he's given us and to be a sign to the world declaring His righteousness. Amen? Amen? Declaring that people can be born again in Him because He loves them, because of what He's doing hanging on that cross. Now, it's difficult to kind of connect with that in a group setting, but I really pray that this is a focus of how you engage Scripture. I pray it's a, I pray it's a mechanism of how you persuade your heart, how Jesus has persuaded His heart. Because... You know, we forget that there's a dying world out there passing into eternity without Him. We forget that there are people out there that don't know Him. We, you know, it's, and it's not just knocking on doors and getting people to say a prayer. It's demonstrating in our own lives the fact that we have experienced this salvation. We are changed. You know, one of the greatest ways that you can convince somebody that God actually exists is that your life has been changed. You get in a debate with somebody, well, how do you, what proof do you have? Right here, me. Let me tell you, 
Let me tell you the proof that I have. Let me tell you what I was like. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. You can't argue with that. You can't argue with testimony. You know, so if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, it's Easter, I'm kind of hungry, I'm ready to go, I appreciate Jesus, but I'm just really not that fired up about what he's done for me. That sounded really negative. I'm not trying to beat you up. (laughs) But I do want to stir you, right? I'm sure most of us are believers sitting in this room. Praise God that you're here on Resurrection Sunday morning. We're in church. Everybody's dressed up. Nobody's blurting out any cuss words. I don't see anybody getting high in the corner. You know, we're doing pretty good. (laughs) But is it even really about that? It's about loving people. It's about getting out there and declaring his righteousness. It's about getting out there and having been so impacted by what he's done for us that we see other people in their darkness and you get over yourself to give them a little bit of hope, to give them a little bit of light. We are the family of God gathered in his name, uniting arms with one another, recognizing we are brothers and sisters in Christ on mission to go into the world, living in unity with each other, loving each other. And then Jesus prays in John 17, so that the world will believe. When we know our unity with God, when we know our unity with each other, when when we know that our love for each other is our strategy, it says that the world will believe, that the world will believe that God loves them too and that he sent Jesus for them also. Don't you want to see that? Man, I want to see a church, not, not one specific congregation, but the body of Christ prioritize love toward one another specifically so that the world will believe. Amen? I, 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 want, I want people to know. I want people to because I've been there. I've been in darkness and, and hopeless and, and feeling like it was too late and cut off and not knowing and then finding that hope. You know, we forget about, I think we forget about how hopeless we've been. And if you feel hopeless even in this moment, walk through these passages. Let His Spirit stir up that life on the inside of you, that passion for, that He has for you, that you are that joy set before Him that He endured the cross, that He chose that path to complete that work, that it is finished, that the debt is paid that you are in Him. You're a child of God. Amen? Amen. it's it's, It's not sufficient to just live well within the salvation that we've been given. We need to be dedicated that our lives are a light and testimony to His transformative power and our love for one another so that it compels people to come toward it. Because, you know, the world is looking, isn't it? The world is searching. There's a resurgence of hallucinogenics and psychedelics. You know, mental health is on the rise. There's a perversion of the image of God. There's all these things happening in the earth, but it's all because people are seeking. And you give them the light. You give them a seed. You give them hope through an extended hand of love and empathy. And I'm telling you, people are open. People are willing. Most people haven't heard the gospel. A lot of Christians haven't heard the gospel. I mean, honestly, we hear it a lot. People will come to this church. Well, it's like, why have I never heard this before? The fact that you're holy and sanctified for the finished work of Christ. People haven't heard that. Now, I want to teach you as believers that, but I want you to go out there and represent God's love. Because I'm, I'm, what else are we doing? What else are we doing? Amassing wealth to ourselves? You know, enjoying... I mean, there, there's great things, right? We're enjoying our marriages. I have a beautiful family that... That means the world to me, honestly. It's my priority. 
You know, we have all these great things that we enjoy, but it's like, man, there's a world out there that needs to hear. Amen? Are you with me? You know, I, I don't want this to just be a sermon for you. I don't want this to just be another day. And, 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 I, and, I, and I'm not trying to slip you into performance mode or make you feel guilty. I just, I just want us to have a passion for the world, you know, a passion. And, and here's how it looks. As you go about your daily life, just be willing to let him use you in whatever surrounding you find yourself in, right? Now, if he gives you a mission to step out of your comfort zone and, and go and be a little bit more direct and specifically evangelistic, then do that. But be willing to wherever you find yourself throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the months, just be willing to share your testimony, be willing to pray for people, be willing to point people to Jesus. You know, it's, it's, we're, 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 man, we are willing and, and quick to talk about our jobs, talk about our hobbies, talk about politics, whatever. But man, let's talk about the gospel, which means you need to know the gospel which means you need to keep coming back to church. <laughs> but seriously, it's, you know, we will always build you up in who you are in Christ and His finished work. Amen? Amen. Man, I hope you got something out of this. I hope it's meaningful to you. Go back and do your homework. Read Psalm 18, and there will be a test next week. Amen? <laughs> Let's stand up if we would. Actually, I want to close out in a little bit of, in a little bit of worship. Um, is Chris in here, or did he have to go back? Yeah. You can just go back into maybe a couple of courses of that last song. We have some people on our prayer team. If you guys would come up, if you're on the prayer team, um, Tracy, would you come up as well? You know, I just, I just want to end in ministry, focusing on what he's done for you. And I want you to allow him to speak to you in this moment, you know? So the challenge is there to, to live out your faith in public on display. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather we so appreciate the model and the body of Christ that we have, that we can enjoy each other's presence and we can have fun at Easter and we can just have a good time at church. But we don't want to so relish in our joy that we forget about people out there that have not heard the gospel. People sitting in darkness, people in pain, people that are sick, people that are suffering with anxiety, people with suffering all types of issues, Lord. You are the answer. And here am I, send me. Just If that's your prayer, lift up your hand and say, here am I, send me. Yes, Jesus, I will represent you. I will represent you. I will show the world your power and your love. And if you're in this room today, you can put your hands down, but if you're in this room today and you'd like to say yes to him for the first time, you're not sure that you're a believer. You're not sure that you're saved. But for the first time, you're willing to say, yes, I believe what you did was for me. If that's you, just lift up your hand where I can see. And there may be people online. If you're watching online, right after this video closes down, we'll show you a video, walk you through a process to start a life and a walk with Christ. But if, even if you're in this room, you didn't want to raise your hand, it's very simple. Just believe. Say, I believe. You believe that what he did was for you. you. believe that he became and died for your sin. He was punished for you. He rose again, conquered the grave. He gives you eternal life. And when you believe in him, he fills you with his spirit. And you're full of grace. Full of grace to live a transformed life, to walk in all these gifts and powers, to display fruit and to love others.
Jesus, we trust you.